Today's podcast is sponsored by June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game which transports you into a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance set in the glamorous 1920s. You'll play as June Parker as she embarks on a quest to solve her sister's murder. But that's not all. You'll let your imagination run wild as you get to customize your own luxurious estate island with expensive gardens and beautiful buildings. So, can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Mike Doty, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedurals, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. Today, we're looking at SVU Season 8, Episode 17, Sin. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of the podcast Crime Writers On, my wife, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Kevin. It's nice not to be in a closet with you for a change. Yes, we are on location today at the Alpha Loft in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, a nonprofit space for arts and technology development. And rogue podcasters. And rogue yes. podcasters. <laughs> and rounding out our panel is our very special guest singer, songwriter, Mike Doty. Mike, thanks for uh, joining us. Oh, a- absolutely. Law and Order is a very important part of my touring life. It's um, <laughs> really, I, I can only watch it in hotel rooms. Mm-hmm. When I'm at home, I, I can't watch it. But I'm in hotel rooms like literally a third of my life. See, if all the vices yeah. a musician could pick up on the road, <laughs> that is not one that I would think. No, but it's, a, well, it's nice because Scrap, my cello player, and I, we room together, so it is a thing that we can agree on. And we know it's like, <laughs> we just look at the channel guide in the hotel, it's Ion, USA, or TNT, and you just go to one, and generally, if he's got the remote, he'll pick an SVU. If I have a criminal intent, I'll take the criminal intent. Yes, yes. yes. See, brainy people yeah. like criminal intent. Yeah. yeah. Or a, uh, uh, like an Orback. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the classic. Yeah. Yep. The o- yes, the OG LNO. Now, when you were living as a New York bohemian, did you uh, know people in the Law & Order universe? I didn't know anybody. Oh, actually, no. Jesse L. Martin was a, was a friend of friends. Yeah. <gasps> Shut up. Yeah. So, yeah, he was an NYU kid, <laughs> Tish kid, and uh, I didn't know him. I, I did a thing that he did, and, and I was like, oh, we know, you know, Catherine Oberg and Amy Cummins. And you talked to Jesse L. Martin? Yeah. Was he gorgeous in person? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and he was wearing a baby blue velour nice. tracksuit. No, no, sir. That's yes. not okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've also, yeah, I, uh, what am I saying? I've also, uh, Mariska Hart- Hartigay is a fan of mine. Really? Really? Yes. yes. Wait, wait, that doesn't sound, shouldn't sound like so wait, really? I have something in common with Mariska. <laughs> That's what I just, today I learned. Well, then we'll have to let her know that there's one episode she must listen to. <laughs> exactly. I, should, I should have led with this. I, I do the 24-hour plays on Broadway periodically as a musical interstitial guy, and she just loved it. And she's done it a few times, and she's just so into it. And I've never... Like, I've never, like, sort of tried to, you know, schmooze her into show, to a show of mine or done any of that stuff. But, and by the way, she is really, really not like Detective Olivia Benson. Not that she intense. Is, no, she's like, hey, how's it going? 
doesn't. She's like an actor. She's she's like, hey, what's up? What's going on? Hey, hi. Oh, that's great. How are you? She's been yeah. trying to like solve your deepest pain every time you meet her. No, she's like she's like very smiley and and nice. Her husband is like this insanely beautiful man. Yeah, she's 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 an actor. Wow. She's like the actors that I knew. I think I people there. like me just assume she's solving rapes 24-7 no. in real life. <laughs> oh, yeah. so did I. I mean, like, I was really like, like, I, I, I thought she was messing with me when she was like, hi, what's going on? It's good. I, I thought she was going to, like, bring the hammer down and suddenly <laughs> say, yeah. Could you turn around, put yeah. your hands behind your back? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, for folks who don't know your background, you broke in in the 1990s with the alt band Soul Coffee, and then you've been solo, had a great solo career. Don't you just miss fighting? <laughs> No, well, you can still you can still fight with. I still fight all the time with people you, I'm on tour with. Sounds like you fight over the remote control. Yeah, well, no, that is the beauty of Law and Order. Is it completely just detente, like perfect brings detente. people together. We know, yeah. Me and Scrap, like we we know exactly what we do. I'm very cool with SVU as opposed to Criminal Intent. He's very cool with Criminal Intent as opposed to SVU. It's just you know it's going to go one way or the other if we have it. Depending on which one of us uh, has the remote control, but we are perfectly agreed that that's what we want to watch. Criminal Intent is so different because it's an open mystery, and you start yeah. off usually knowing. So it really has to be, I think, in order for people to enjoy those episodes, is you've got to be really into the characters because you already kind of know what the mystery is. Yeah, it's all about motive so, on Criminal Intent. It's also all about... So that journey has to be really It's also about enjoyable. Goran being Sherlock Holmes is really what it's about. It's about him knowing everything about everything in a way that you really can't understand as a viewer and it's super intriguing. If he were in this room right now, he would know like where this carpet was manufactured. And <laughs> yeah. It was only manufactured in one place for a certain period of time. And As he rubs a fiber between his exactly, fingers. Like, exactly. Mm. But it does... Yes, it's, uh, it has all the soothing rhythms of Law and Order. Like it, it that it, it is wonderful comfort food. Law and Order. It's just, I, I think recently, sort of the post Benson and Stabler episodes, mm-hmm. they've done things like, well, you know, we'll use a handheld camera, or we'll, you know, do this, and and it just shakes the rhythm, and it's like, I don't, I don't want this. <laughs> I do know somebody that knows Warren Light. I know him on Twitter. Does that count? Yeah, totally counts. <laughs> you know, two people know Warren. Yeah. <laughs> and the um, they had a conversation. Uh, they were talking about something. They were working together on some theater thing. And uh, something had happened in the news, and my friend was like, hey, I bet you could make a Law & Order episode out of that. And he goes, yeah. Well, the guy would do this, and then he would do this, and, then, and he just like <laughs> sort of doodled off the top of his head yeah. a plot. Mm-hmm. Like, just, just like that. They have been doing it so long, so many times, that you just, my hope is that they're not getting bored with it, that they will continue to provide us with brand new perfectly patterned comfort food in that same soothing rhythm till the end of time. It's like something big happens in the news and they use it as a writing prompt for, yeah. we're going to go from here. We'll take some of this, but we have to have that law and order twist. But sometimes the they get hung up. I mean, I do feel like Original Recipe, as we've discovered in our like rediscovery of those old shows for this podcast, like they dug a little further back in time for some of their inspiration. And SVU is so current that they sometimes run into like roadblocks actually getting the episode on TV as we saw, you know, just recently they were going to air this episode based on Donald Trump and then they decided to push it past the election. And then we have episodes that are weirdly cut because obviously legal 
gets involved. Yes, whenever they put like that, that card up that <laughs> a says... A little too long. Yes, a little too long. <laughs> this is fiction. And it's also, that's a really good way of saying, this isn't fiction. No, it yes. is not. <laughs> this is based on <laughs> wink. Yeah. It's, it's all it's missing is a big wink. I mean, <laughs> Mike, you've done a lot of uh, TV and movie soundtracks in your time. You've done X-Files, Veronica Mars, Grey's Anatomy. Mm-hmm. If they ever had a Law & Order soundtrack, like what would be the song that you would write? Oh, I, you couldn't top it. I mean, that's one of the... Uh, how could I even step into that forum? I mean, one of the beautiful things about it is it's still the same kind of like orchestration and recording sounds and instruments. Like it's perfectly exactly what it was in 92 or 90, when, whenever they 90, did it. yeah. Yeah. The only other place where you really hear that is at the end of The Simpsons in terms of current shows. Oh, the yeah. do-do-do-da-da-da-da-da-da. That, that thing is also like exactly that, those studios, that environment, that setup, the instruments, the players even. So gosh, I mean, I if there was a way to do like a vintage TV theme recording that actually sounded like like we went to the original studio, got the original tape machine, <laughs> the same arranger, and yeah, bring Mike Post in to look all uh, you know snarly, snarly. Yes, I, I liked my version better. There are yeah. different iterations of it. That there's like the uh, original oh. clarinet solo arrangement, and then it gets really fast for a few mm-hmm. years, and then there's like the electric guitar one, and then Criminal Intent gets a little bit gritty and tries to be like the grunge one. Yeah, with a cool. Exactly. <laughs> I really am irritated by that because, like, especially SVU, sounds like the rough draft version. Yeah, yeah. Because it is da 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 da, mm-hmm. and SVU is da 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 da. Yeah. It's yeah. like it's like that was what he did. He was like, no, da 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 da. No, that's not it. Da 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 da. Oh, that's the one. It's a variation, though. Yeah. yeah well, so you're in the business. So tell me, that's just a trick, right? So it's not the same piece. That way, he can get paid for two different things. I don't know. Presumably, I mean, Dick Wolf is apparently like a a, a wolf, as it were, <laughs> yeah. and and will do you know will not concede a thing to anybody working for him, actor or writer. So if that guy's not doing it as like a straight up work for hire, you know, for a cut rate, he's a miracle worker. They found him on Fiverr, probably. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> So, Rebecca, I'll put you on the spot. What's uh, one of your favorite Mike Doty songs? Uh, American Car, period. Oh, cool. Yeah, Deep Cut. Although no. it doesn't seem like a Deep Cut does because we listen you? to it. No, we listen to it all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have our kids in the room with us. Biggest Mike Doty fan in the world. What's your favorite Mike Doty song? Uh, probably 27 Jennifer. Yeah, oh, that cool. was actually my pick because I actually knew 27 Jennifer's. <laughs> I went to school with 27 Jennifer's. Yeah. I went to school probably with more, and it was a small high school. Like, I under uh, lowballed the number of Jennifer's <laughs> just to make it realistic. Yeah, all on that same bus. <laughs> I think 15 years from now, someone's going to redo that, and it'll be like 27 Tiffany's. Uh, right. Um, Ashley's, Ashley's, yeah. Madison's, exactly. Britney's, yeah. <laughs> now, one of your best albums was uh, Holy Melodic. Holy Melodic, yeah. And it, that's a an anagram of of your name of Michael Doty, yeah. And so, wait a but minute. Wait, you didn't know that. This is how I feel about the Mister. It's like the Mister Rogers situation all over again. So I didn't realize Mister Rogers played all the characters in the neighborhood uh-huh. until Kevin told me. That's how I feel right now about this. I figured yeah. that out myself very late in life. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, that's why he was never in the neighborhood of make believe. I thought he was just taking a break. That's why it took so long for the real life people to walk over to the tree for X the Owl. Yeah. Because right. Fred had to go down and up That's why Fred just didn't dive through the tunnel with the train. You, weren't you always just like, why doesn't he just does go he follow with the trolley? Because yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. it's an awesome place. Like, yeah. why? That's why. Because he's with his arm and all the puppets doing all the damn voices. Anyway, that's how I feel right now. You, so that you didn't know that was an anagram for his name. <laughs> I feel so stupid. Well, it's funny because you could have actually gone with some other anagrams 
for that album that yeah. would also like for example you could have done Almighty Deuce Ho. Oh, I also Almighty Douche. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Almighty you know? Douche. Almighty Code. Each loud mighty. I got. I mean, I, I I'm not good at anagrams. I put it. I put my name into like an anagram generator uh-huh. and got all these versions of it. Right. It's actually, I, there's a tour shirt that's haughty melodic on top, and then there's like nine different. Well, some of my other favorite ones are, are Toughly Dice Ham. Yes. And I do Thug Alchemy. <laughs> <laughs> I do do Thug Alchemy. Yeah, that would have been. So maybe another one you could do. Uh, That's great. That sounds like an SVU episode title. Rebecca, I have actually a great anagram. This is probably the best anagram for a podcaster, for Rebecca Lavoie. Oh, no. Voice, cable, ear. Well. That's great. No, I mean, how literal is that? I, let's just say the people listen to our podcasts for my voice. <laughs> we know that for sure from all of the comments that we receive. Well, I have one for my whole name, Kevin Patrick Flynn. This is the one. It's cheating, by the way. Yes, this is the one I have, though. Vinyl Fart Pink Neck. Oh, that's totally nice. accurate. That's something. So many accuracies in that anagram. So, Mike, of all the franchises, what is your favorite detective team? Favorite Law and Order detective team. Oh, Orbach and Martin. Um, yeah. Even though you don't see Jesse Martin in that tracksuit. <laughs> no. No. I, I, it, it's, it, in fact, he, it's funny because I always... He's always running. He should have a tracksuit. I know so many people that have been on that show in minor roles... All New York actors are on that show at some point. Mm-hmm. And my best friend, Matt Saldivar, from when I was a kid, he hadn't been on for, like, years. And it was a joke. Like, hey, Matt's never been on Law & Order. And then as, you know, Loser. as he got to, like, past 30, it was like, dude, what's wrong really, with your career? What's, yeah, what's are you up? really an actor? Yeah, I know. But then finally he was on. He played a cameraman in the real world episode. <gasps> that was a good episode. Yeah. There's some good like reality TV based episodes of Law and Order. I have to say some of those strongest ones are my are my reality TV ones. But I, I, what I'm saying is that I have zero suspension of disbelief, like because I just have seen so many people that I know somebody who knows, you know, that you know, and so Jesse L. Martin looks like. You know, Shawn Michael Howard's roommate from NYU. Like, never, I never buy him as a detective. You mean Shawn Michael Howard's gorgeous roommate from NYU? That's exactly what I mean. <laughs> Easy, lady. Uh, Mike, who's your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. Oh, um, well, uh, Elizabeth Rome. No way. Elizabeth Rome. You're yeah. the only person who's ever said that really? in the history of the United States of America. Really? She's so great. I'm so in love with her. Really? Were you so surprised fabulous. in the end that she was a lesbian <laughs> who got fired for that? Or no, she didn't get fired for being a no, lesbian. No, she asked if she got she fired. She asked if she got fired because she, she was a lesbian. I had no idea. This is, this oh, did is, you miss yeah. that episode when no. she finally left? I've never watched any season in order. That's one of the beauties oh. of watching it on USA for like an eight-hour stretch is Benson's haircut changes every episode. <laughs> so you don't know that Elizabeth Rome is the most like reviled DA of all of like the Law and Order. Really, people hate her. Yes, yeah, really. Serena, yeah, people are not fans. And but so she, she lasted three seasons. <laughs> she lasted three seasons, and then um, in a case that she was taking too personally, Fred Thompson calls her in and says, "Now a prosecutor can be zealous, but not passionate. Advocacy is warm blooded. Enforcement's got to be cold blooded." Does Jack feel as strongly about this as you do? No, but it's my office and my decision, and he accepts it. A decision? You've already made a decision? I have. You're fired. 
Is this because I'm a lesbian? Is it because I'm a lesbian? <laughs> Which comes out of nowhere. After nice. no other indication in your entire tenure on the show. Wow. So maybe you'll catch that one next time. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to spoil it for you. Wow. All right, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode. Uh, we start with the squad finding a body laid out in a cemetery, arms crossed, eyes plucked out, and a bag of drugs shoved down his throat, or as they call it, Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> laid out between the graves, covered in a tarp. Laid out. Yeah, on his back, hands crossed across his chest like he's in a coffin. You found him. Gardner came in to clear the path. No clothes, no ID, no eyes. And he was sodomized. Got ritual killing written all over it. Plug out the eyes, arrange the limbs, cover the body, then dump them in a churchyard. Could be a satanic cult. Or someone who wants us to think it is. <laughs> Stabler and Benson learn that the victim is Richard Antrim, a gay prostitute. His last address turns out to be a loft where some evangelical teens are putting on a Halloween Satan house. Which was great. Yeah. <laughs> this is where you walk through and they try to scare you with the horrors of fornication and women's reproductive medicine. Yes. That's right. That's right. Uh, Richard Sell has a text message about an after-hours meeting and several calls to an office of a church. That's where they meet Reverend Jeb Curtis, an anti gay preacher whom they suspect of having an affair with the male prostitute. They confront Curtis with DNA found at the scene that is a partial match to his. Stabler brings Curtis back to his own church and playing on his faith gets Curtis to confess that he is responsible for Richard's death. Yep. So the victim is at first unidentified. How do you feel about their plan to lure the killer out of hiding at the hospital? Oh, you mean when uh, Benson and Stabler go undercover as doctors? Yes. Doctors doing nothing, just standing in the hallway with a clipboard? Uh, it's not a good with plan. With a mannequin in the, in, the, uh, in the bed. It's not a good plan, but I feel like you glossed over one of the more interesting aspects of this episode. And it's not that the crows picked out the eyes and that Tamara Tooney literally wants them to catch the crows. <laughs> it is that Ice-T shows his incredible knowledge of the Myanmar drug trade yes. by being able to identify. Oh, the- yeah, and that the drug cartel puts a logo, a logo. on their ecstasy. <laughs> Tablets have writing on them. U-W-S-A, United War State Army. That a new rap group? That's a rebel group based out of Southeast Asia, one of the biggest drug producers in the world. Hey guys, it's from us. That to me, it was supposed to be like I think the red herring that you know diverts us from the whole later church thing. But yeah, hiding out in the hospital, pretending to be doctors, but not actually doing any doctor things except standing around, like basically with your walkie-talkie in your hand. Not Waiting so for discreet. the killer to come and finish the job. <laughs> Not super discreet, no. See, somewhere there was an administrator going, you put a recessa Annie in a private room, that's like $4,000 a day. <laughs> Thanks, Obama. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, my one disappointment with this episode was that there wasn't a good iced tea looks like. <laughs> <laughs> right. or what do you mean by that? A good SVU is like, looks like the captain went down with the ship. <laughs> you know, looks like the astronaut crashed the capsule. <laughs> looks like mom forgot to make the bed. <laughs> we, Scrap, Scrap and I throw these back and forth with each other, make, make them up. And the best one was, looks like Keith Moon was voted greatest drummer of all time for the fourth year in a row by the readers of Drummer's World magazine. <laughs> 
so of all the SWAT raids to not have something go wrong, the cops kick in the doors at the evangelical haunted house called the Satan's House. This is our Satan's house. Your what? It's a play. People walk through it like a haunted house to show them what happens if they lead a sinful life. What was your sin? Having a partial birth abortion. You dreaming this stuff up? No, I'm not a writer. We we buy the Satan's house, kid. It tells us how to do everything, like using raw meat for the dead baby. Isn't it great? This coffin over here, it's for an AIDS victim. Satan dances around it singing, I tricked him into thinking he was born gay. (laughs) We're not afraid to use humor. We're not afraid to use humor. (laughs) <laughs> that was great. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, I really thought there wasn't enough Satan's house in this episode. We got the tease at the beginning, mm-hmm. we revisit at the end, but like, I know that's a real thing. I mean, I like produce radio stories about it. I know it's like an actual thing. I really wanted to see a little bit more yeah. of the Satan's house like art scene. Like, is there a Satan's house like musician like playing the guitar in the background, singing like a good like sin song? Well, it was it was clearly in Bushwick uh, when it, when we first saw it. I thought it was going to be. Some arty thing, and this has happened before, mm-hmm. where some actory, hipstery people put on a hell house as like an ironic thing, and they get the actual kit from whatever organization does it. This happens all the time, and I just I wanted some some Bushwick theater nerds, and I was I was a little disappointed that you were disappointed they were doing it unironically. Yeah, and why would they do it at Bushwick? <laughs> like what? <laughs> like they would do it on Long Island. <laughs> Everybody in Bushwick would be taking Molly and going for fun. <laughs> so this week's special guest star is Tim Daly from Wings yep. and Madam Secretary, and he just has all—he just always seems like such a nice guy. Is <laughs> it's just making him a little homophobic? The worst that they possibly could have done to him: hiding behind your wife and kids while you sleep with male prostitutes and preach against gays. Homosexuality is a crime against God, and I am His servant. I would never violate his law. Wait, now, I, I'm unfamiliar with either of those television programs. We're talking about The Preacher, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. I just thought he was one of those guys that you're like, it's that guy. I've seen him before. Hey, and he that- is, but I guess... Oh, there are lots of Hey, It's That Guys in the episode. But huh. yeah, he was actually the star of a big, what, 90s sitcom? Was it one yeah, of those? Yeah, no. Yeah. In the 90s with Crystal a, Chapel and that other third guy. You should check his Wikipedia and page. Thomas Mike. Hayden Church was in Wings, yeah. correct? Yep. Who's actually like another not hates that guy has transcended the hates that guy status. But yeah, Tim Daly, he actually really looked the part. I got to say, like he was perfectly aged, perfectly preserved looking. Uh, His giant photo with the back of the church. Very believable. I thought built the church from nothing. He did. I just want to say that that was not a church. (laughs) They found it was an atrium like in an office building. Or like a hospital. <laughs> yeah. It was not, that was <laughs> they like, doubled you look up at on the it, sets. <laughs> exactly. Like they were like, oh, we need a church this week. Oh, what the hell can we do? That There was no way that if you look at it, it's like there's a mezzanine It's like the it. Cedar sinai like yeah. food court. <laughs> oh, <geez>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's probably. exactly. I always think about the photos that they take, you know, like the big photo of them, like what that day is like when they're like, uh, what, that actor that like, you know, like, oh, you're playing a guy on a driver's license. Like yeah. you got Come in and, you know. What's the scale for this? No, no, just shut up and stand by the wall. Because everything you see is that's somebody's job. That's right. It's somebody's job. I think about that too. You watch SNL, you know, those like interstitial photos they do in and out of the commercial breaks. Mm-hmm. Like that's a day, right? Yeah. Doing that. Yeah. Except yeah. on this show, it's like they're doing all this other stuff. So you know it's not even a day. You know it's like 20 minutes. Like we can come over here well, for 20 and we can take your photo of pointing we, at God yes. for that giant photograph. We need a bunch of faces because we have to make a bunch of family photos. Exactly. Right. And we 
have to make you look 10 years younger with a baby. For the PowerPoints yes, in the squad room. For the PowerPoints in the squad This episode had maybe one of the best PowerPoint montages in the squad room ever. It had the Curtis family preacher family photo next to the Myanmar drug lair map, <laughs> next to an infographic of pills with logos yeah. on it. Why did they need the map? <laughs> Why did they need the... I mean, it's clearly like... We had ruled got, that out at that point, right? Yes. <laughs> the, I love the logo on the drugs. I love it. Because... You know, Not that you would know, but I think you've been pretty public about the fact oh, that you yeah. have a familiarity with drugs, No, no, no. I've, done, drugs, I've right? done a ton of drugs. How many logos have you seen? A, a ton. Um, but none that good. <laughs> none that were network-created. I mean, really, like, what happens with ecstasy and with heroin, or was ecstasy in my day, it's Molly now, is there'll be, like, the, the big thing in the 90s was Mitsubishi. In Britain, like a Mitsubishi logo, like, oh, Mitsubishis, they're the best. <laughs> um, yeah. So no one ever in the car world. No. <laughs> so there was, a, there was a Mitsubishi logo one, and then instantly there were all these imitations of it. Uh-huh. So there is a brand thing, but there's no, like, you know. UWSA. Yeah. <laughs> hey, the, we're the McCoacon cartel, and we have the best heroin. <laughs> and a map. To show you exactly why we're making it. Yeah, what is the New York like SVU squad going to go raid Myanmar's like drug dens to solve this crime? No. There's I, no reason for the map to be on that power. I screen. love it when they do like Lithuania or uh-huh. Boston for that matter. Yeah. It's just clearly not there. I would love to see that jungle set of we're in Myanmar and we walk <laughs> into a hut. It would be Finn yeah. in his black leather jacket. Looks like somebody was a little too crazy on Google Maps. <laughs> <laughs> Now let's look at the second half of this episode. That judge that looks like a claymation figure about to melt oh, that guy. threatens to throw out Curtis's coerced confession. Looks like Judge Cohen's going to throw out Curtis's confession. What are you talking about? How'd that happen? There's your little stunt at the church. It violated the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendments. I didn't verbally, physically abuse yeah, that guy. Yeah, but you did imply that he was going to be grilled for an no, attorney I on didn't. the devil's bargain. Yeah, Casey, did I did. Confess. I took him to his church and I said a prayer. That's all I did. I'm sorry, Elliot, but the Supreme Court still calls it coercion. Their new theory is that Richard was blackmailing the preacher. Meantime, Mrs. Curtis is unable to come to terms with her husband's hypocrisy. And as Mike Doty would say, that is more bacon than the pan. <laughs> she gives. Looks the- like the pan had more bacon than the pan. <laughs> <laughs> she gives the detectives a phone recording in which Richard tries to shake down Curtis, and then she gives him conversion therapy in the form of a gunshot to the torso. <laughs> Stabler thinks Curtis is covering for one of his sons, which is why the DNA is just a partial match. They learn son Paul is gay, and he admits to having a drug-fueled affair with Richard. Then he claims to have killed him. But when father and son meet in the hospital in some really fucked-up gift of the Magi shit, <laughs> both discover they were taking the blame because they thought the other one did it. Finally, the cops zero in on the real killer, the church bookkeeper who murdered Richard to prevent a scandal. That guy was so smarmy, that church bookkeeper. Oh, he was, I loved him. And you knew he was the murderer the moment he walked on screen. <laughs> <laughs> you knew now, it. How did you know that? Because I knew. Because he was a total know. asshole. Because you know, yeah. Because he was just, it's just like, oh, it's a tertiary character. Oh, murder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. My my favorite is when Benson says, "I'm going to check out the ledger," and she picks up the checkbook. I'm like, that's not a ledger. It's <laughs> a checkbook. It is not the same thing, Olivia. It is just not. We do have a, another. Hey, it's that guy. Hey, it's that guy. And the guy is Kathy Baker, the actress. She plays the Reverend's wife. I mean, hey, it's that woman. 
Hey, it's that woman. You probably know oh, her, her as Dr. Jill Brock from the CBS show Picket Fences. Yep. And her with Tom Skerritt. Yes, and she was also Alan Shepard's wife in The Right Stuff. And has done a million oh. things in between yeah. that. She's one of David E. Kelly's muses, Kathy Baker was. She's a very, very big television actress in the 90s. She's a very, very, very good actress. Yeah. She is. And I think maybe a little maybe misused in this episode. I don't want to say that because, you know, the plot line was a little bit of a stretch. I know you're going to get there, though, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that family has 10 kids, so not only do they not believe in homosexuality, they don't believe in birth control. My yeah. favorite thing, didn't, uh, Mariska at one point said, uh, who has 10 kids? And uh, Stabler's like, Catholics. Not, you said not even Catholics. <laughs> not even either, Catholics, yeah. right, right. They, I mean, the oldest kid was, because the first time we see the church is the, is the funeral for the kid who had died in Afghanistan. Yes. Those are some old kids, man. Yeah, really. Like, they had started early. Yep. If you're going to get 10 done... Like, she was in, uh, pregnant for, like, like 95 through 2005. Pretty much. Probably. Well, you know what they say? You know, the, the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. Yeah. So they got to, like... When you're 17, apparently. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Now, we see some soap opera bubbles in this one because apparently Kathy and Elliot are talking about getting back together. Yeah, yeah. Which is, again, sort of the the whole background and personal lives of these yeah. detectives is something you don't see in the other franchises. That's for folks who don't watch it one episode at a time in a hotel room like yeah. Mike does. That's for folks like me who perhaps have seen all of them in a row. And yeah, there is this backstory where Stabler and his wife have broken up. And then there was, you know, Mariska's maternity leave in real life, and then she was subbed in with this other detective, and then that Danny left, and then she came back, and then he and uh, Kathy reconcile, and that's all happening in this episode as the backdrop. It is oh. the morality play behind the morality play. You get all these plot points without watching it in order. Yeah, you, you, can wa- you can watch 10 different years <laughs> mixed up, and you still, you know, like, oh, the, lo- the wife left, and then he left, and the daughter is this, and that. And the you daughter get it is all- that, yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's like the aliens in Slaughterhouse-Five who see time on a continuum. That's right, that's right. That's yeah. the thing. It's like you cannot watch General Hospital for five years. If you watch it on a Friday, you'll know everything that's been happening for the last six months, and that's what every episode of SVU is like. Yeah. So now they didn't need to uh, beat the confession out of Curtis. They just had to tell him he was going to hell. Yeah, B.D. Wong comes through with the uh, strategy for the, you know, interrogation. I know how to get him. I know how to get him. Play the religion card. Like, duh. (laughs) (laughs) Now keep in mind, like, George Wong, B.D. Wong's character is one of my favorite characters in the whole franchise. Agreed. But this was definitely an uh, no-duh Wikipedia psychiatry moment, I think, in terms of him playing that card. I I thought it was really not... (laughs) Okay, I'm not about to say something on television was unrealistic. (laughs) (laughs) But it was unreal Because I can't imagine a shrink really being... Like, having any credibility. Like, hey, I'm a police shrink. God is watching. (laughs) (laughs) I work for the state. Yeah. (laughs) And by the way, nobody lawyers up in this episode. Not Tim Daly, not his wife. Ostensibly, they have money, right? They own like a huge evangelical church, which you would imagine at some point would have needed to employ a lawyer, correct? You're wrong. uh, Tim Daly had an actor, John Cullum. Well, in court. Who we remember as? From Northern Exposure. From Northern Exposure. And previous episodes that we've talked about on this podcast. (laughs) Oh, he's the the older fellow. The older fellow, yeah. 
That guy, he is, he's a recurring lawyer on that show. Hey, that mm-hmm. guy, yeah. And he just completely is not like the guy in Northern Exposure. He yeah. was actually a quasi-villain victim on the other episode we recently talked about. Yeah, the well, there's a lot of repeat offenders, as <laughs> they say. So uh, to hear Mrs. Curtis say it, the big turning point in their marriage was when the Reverend started preaching about tolerance. <laughs> uh, he always preached against homosexuality. And then he changed. Suddenly he started to preach acceptance and, and tolerance. He was only trying to justify his own depravity. Uh, <laughs> so wasn't you hear that, wasn't it just a matter of just how many commercial breaks until she shoots him? <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. That was going to happen. Yeah. The funny thing is there's this clue that leads Benson and Stabler to, su- to suspect that Mrs. Curtis was the shooter, and it's the blood-soaked Bible turned to a passage in Psalms about a man and his wife. I mean, that's some real Robert Langdon Da Vinci Code shit there, right? Mm. It's like it kind of is maybe a stretch. It's yeah, I, oh, total I, stretch. I definitely think it's a little bit of a stretch. You know, I think that the real stretch of the episode, though, is what caused her to shoot him. The recorded message that she overheard on the answering machine, which they played several times, which literally sounded like a robot. I didn't realize that the answering machine had already picked up. Jeb took the call in his office. And so the next morning I, I played the messages and their conversation was recorded. This is Jeb Curtis. It's Richard. I told you not to call anymore. It's an emergency. I need more money. For drugs. I told you I won't support your habit. You said you'd take care of me. Not like this. You'll be sorry. You'll be sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That voice, that was a guy getting paid for a day's work. Yes. Probably not the same guy with the missing eyes, though, with the beard. Probably a whole different guy. I had to get a whole different yeah. guy. Yeah, it's yeah. just the way of making the economy you work. You don't think they it. just call like an intern and they're like, hey, read this? <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. sure they do. Like, they get the guy, like, everybody who's on a mugshot is like a guy who is like a gaffer or a DP or something. They just get somebody from the crew to be like, somebody didn't show up. Come on. You, you know, gotta like, put hey, this man, on. we need somebody for a victim photo. Will you just put this why do, I, why do, I, do I look like a victim because you're always <laughs> is it something about me if Gorn were the one that looked at the Bible like turned his head and go ah it was you know obviously because of this son I would have bought it a lot easier than Stabler and if, Benson if, if who had D'Onofrio D'Onofrio oh, D'Onofrio yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. looks like someone went oh, Old Testament <laughs> on his ass <laughs> Call back. Hashtag. Call back, yes. Looks uh, like somebody took the Song of Solomon too little. <laughs> <laughs> so, fun fact, if you shoot your husband in New York, the cops will take you to visit him in the hospital on your way to prison. <laughs> yeah, I want to go see my victim. Is that cool? Yeah, sure. Well, we got, we got a half hour. It's cool. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that was a little bit of stretch. You know, uh, I may have shot him, but I just want to go say hi. See if he's okay. <laughs> I had a change of heart about that once I found out all about, you know, tolerance. <laughs> the other thing that really stuck out to me was Elliot's jacket wardrobe in this episode. Maybe not the kind of thing you guys noticed. No. Elliot went in uh, various points in this episode from denim jacket Elliot at work. Oh, yes. <laughs> to down jacket Elliot at oh, work. I love when he does the denim jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you love that so much? Oh, because it's it's ridiculous. Just like, you know, like, he just does not look 
First of all, I think of him as his character from Oz still. Mm-hmm. Second of all, I saw him in Starbucks once in New York. <laughs> was he busting up to Starbucks? <laughs> he was not busting. I'm sorry, you walked right Good into one. that. You walked into I that. I know, I suppose I did. He was wearing Tevas. <laughs> and this was, it was long, this was like the early 2000s, and it really was like, and I was like, oh, he's a fluffy actor, dude. Yeah, it's, it's disappointing that he's not like a tortured. Yeah, Catholic it's very cop. very strange. You see him on things like True Blood and Oz. Uh-huh. And you see him on this show, and he's very very like scenery chewing, like you know, masculine, yeah. like too tough to like. No, I'm Catholic. I'm I'm correct about everything. And then you see him on Twitter, and it's like yoga poses, yeah. like 24 <laughs> hours a day of him tweeting pictures of himself doing yoga. And I think the denim jacket is like maybe wardrobe trying to be like just leave the yoga duds behind, <laughs> Maloney. <laughs> but on the denim jacket let's let's man you up a little bit for this scene I, I've always thought it was uh, like his uh, tie and shirt combos are always really <laughs> like it's always some weird like mustard yellow yeah. with like a navy tie yep, yeah like eighth grade physics teacher trying yeah. to dress up yes <laughs> so this episode is titled sin and although we have a murder Paul asks how can his homosexuality be a sin if God made him that way? So to the family, isn't that, of all of these things, that's the unforgivable sin? Yeah, but Daly accepts him immediately. Oh, okay, so I guess it is <laughs> It's all sin. good. Yeah. Episode over. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how the mom, she's going to be in prison. So, like, she shot the husband. She didn't, like, accept her gay son. She's the one who ends up in prison. Dad, who, by the way, has the giant portrait at the evangelical church preaching against homosexuality. Right. In 30 seconds, is like, it's all right, I love you anyway, son. Yeah, yeah. We're good. Yeah. WTF. <laughs> well, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Rip from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Rip from the Headlines. This episode draws many parallels with the sex scandal surrounding evangelical preacher Ted Haggard. The charismatic pastor ran a mega church in Colorado Springs, and he was head of national associations of evangelicals. He was known for taking church donations and giving them to families who were poor or had loved ones serving in the military. Haggard appeared to be a happily married man with a large family. He was a proponent of a constitutional amendment against gay marriage. In November 2006, a male prostitute named Mike Jones said he and Haggard had been having sex for three years and smoked crystal meth together. Haggard denied the sex charge. He later admitted buying the drugs, though not using them. Soon after, other congregants came forward to say that Haggard performed lewd sex acts in front of them. Despite initial support from other evangelical leaders, Haggard resigned from the church he founded. Haggard underwent three weeks of prayer therapy with other ministers who said they'd cured him of his homosexuality. In the years since the scandal, the pastor has said his attraction to men has completely disappeared. He and his wife formed a new church in 2010. Now, isn't it always like the hypocrisy that people love to eat up, the public eats up about, you know, a preacher that uh, says one thing but does something else? Yeah, I I have to say, like, that makes it... Whenever there's something like this, it's like... That wouldn't take place in New York. Like, well, the guy was, like, in Queens or something? Yeah, but the show takes place in New York, Mike. Exactly. I know, I know. I, look, I'm not I'm not looking at... I, Jesse L. Martin still looks like a friend of mine's roommate from NYU. So I'm, it's not a suspension of disbelief. A gorgeous friend of yours, roommate. Yes. <laughs> no, he's right. This doesn't happen in New York. In New York, you know, this is the story that New Yorkers laugh at that happened in... Sorry, listeners in Kansas. Kansas or Oklahoma. I Definitely mean, not the New York-based story. Terrible, hypocritical things 
things happen in New York for sure, but it, that's just like out of character for the region. I don't know if you remember this detail of the real story, but his male prostitute was the, they bought drugs, the crystal meth, and with a logo he, on them. With a logo <laughs> on them, and uh, Haggard admitted that he bought the drugs, but he would he didn't want to have sex. <laughs> right. So, right. So Haggard says, "Sure, I bought the meth, but I didn't have the sex." He's like, "I would smoke that pipe, just not that pipe." Looks like I'm somebody just took that drug reference too far. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like somebody took an implement of drug use and made it a phallic reference. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's just one detail from the real story that the writers left out is that Tim Daly did not try to pray the gay away. No, he did not. No. Oh, and that would have been interesting, huh? Yeah. Looks like somebody something. (laughs) Once you know about the looks like... It's one of the things that you'll... It derails the whole conversation. You'll you'll see it the whole time. Like, you'll see, oh, there's the looks like... There you go. Yep. Oh, uh, there's a thing um, that Jesse L. Martin does, which is asymmetrical face. It's, it's <laughs> how he communicates, like, sort of concern, but bafflement. At the same time, he goes like this. It's like a shoulder <laughs> shrug with his yeah, cheek. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, one cheek goes goes way up, and he kind of shakes his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we, me and Scrap sit there and go like, oh, it's asymmetrical face. <laughs> we just did it. Well, that's going to do it for us. We want to thank our special guest, Mike Doty. Mike, how can people find you and learn about all your upcoming projects? Uh, well, uh, on Twitter at Mike underscore Doty underscore. Same place on Snapchat. Same place on Instagram. He's a great social media musician, by the way. Follow him even if you don't listen to his oh, music. Thank you. <laughs> and Rebecca, how can people find you? They can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law and Order Pod. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. We recorded this week on location at the Alpha Loft in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. If you want to check out Mike Doty's latest work, you can see his video, I Can't Believe I Found You in That Town, on YouTube and elsewhere. Oh, my days, the world's so easy. Till I kiss you in that door Now my arms feel so empty Like they never did before And I can't believe I found you in that town I can't believe it's true I can't believe it's how I'm missing you Do not call, you never make a sound No, at least not like you did when I was close to you So sweet and so profound Then I can't believe I found you in that town If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a review on iTunes. It helps others discover this program just like you did. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for Criticism and Commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. If you want to know what episodes we'll be talking about in our upcoming shows, go to lawandorderpodcast.com. These are their stories, a production of Partners in Crime Media.
Hot off the press from Maybelline New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Coco Zing, and more. An extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP.